Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. This week on the Garden DC podcast, we're talking to Barbara Malera, co-owner of Harvesting History. They're based in Kill Devil Hills, North Carolina, and they're a horticultural and ag- agricultural products company. They sell everything from seeds to roots, bulbs, tubers, plants, garden tools and equipment, garden clothing, and garden-related books and art. Basically, anything you need to grow your garden. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's so great having you. And we've known each other for years, probably since right when I started the magazine is when I met you. So it's kind of like coming full circle to have you on. Oh, that's yes. It's been a very nice friendship. Well, thank you. And uh, I do want to note that while Harvesting History is based in North Carolina, you are speaking to us today from upstate New York, correct? That is correct. Um, When COVID hit and the lockdown occurred last uh, March, I was at the Boston Flower Show with all of our inventory for all of our flower shows in the spring. And we were given 12 hours to vacate the premises. uh, And the best that we could do was to just take everything that we had and dump it into our garages at our family home uh, in uh, Seward, New York. So that's where we've been. And once the lockdowns, the various lockdowns get lifted, all of our assets will move then to Kill Devil Hills. My partner is already in Kill Devil Hills and we will operate out of there. Wow. So it sounds like last spring was a little bit stressful. <laughs> oh, yes. I think it's, it was a little <laughs> bit stressful for everybody in horticulture because mm-hmm. so many people elected to turn their stress or to deal with their stress by gardening, which was a wonderful thing. They couldn't have chosen a healthier way to deal with the stress of COVID. Uh, But that meant that everybody was inundated. For many people who had never operated their company out of a website, it meant building a website instantaneously and then learning how to manage it. So uh, it, it it was challenging. We were very fortunate in that we had always been an internet company. So we knew the rigors. We just didn't plan for the degree of success that the lockdown uh, blessed all of us with. And you mentioned you do internet orders, but of course you spend most of your spring like I do, which is going from one garden event to another and you set up booths and you sell seed early on in the season and then seedlings later on in the season. That That is correct. It, it's important for me to tell your viewers that when this whole idea got started, it was because um, a group of people had approached me in 2003 and said, uh, I had been a venture capitalist for most of my professional life, and I was going to leave the venture capital profession. And they said, well, we know a company that you would love to be involved with. But once you get involved with it, you're never going to have anything to do with us because it's such a mess and it's an impossible challenge. And and that company was the DeLandra Seed Company. And it was America's oldest seed house and probably was the keeper of America's horticultural legacy when it came to the corporate side of horticulture. It was, um, Landreth was an outstanding example of American ingenuity and uh, American commitment to the finest that horticulture can give us. Unfortunately, based on some very poor decisions that I made, and it was entirely um, my responsibility 
I ended up losing Landreth in um, 2015. As this whole thing was coming about, um, the investors in a company called Page Seed Company, which was another old American seed house founded in 1896, Page's investors came to me and said, we'd like for you to do for us what you did for Landreth. And I looked at them and I said, you mean put the company out of business? <laughs> and, uh, um, they laughed too. And they said, no, 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 that's not the part we would like. We'd like for you to build an heirloom seed company that's associated with Page. And so I and um, the man who had been my artistic partner in Landreth set out to build an heirloom seed company for Page Seed Company. And that's what we have been doing for the last couple of years. Um, and uh, so I was at the Boston Flower Show with all of this inventory uh, for harvesting history when the lockdown occurred. And I know that D-Lander seed catalogs, when you were in charge of the company, were some of my favorite reads. And I still ha have them, of course, on my bookshelf. They were just beautiful and filled with stories behind a lot of the heirlooms and, and uh, the seeds. And that's continued on, of course, on your Harvesting History website. Well, I'm, I'm very grateful that you said that. And I have been promising our Harvesting History customers that we would go back to that style of catalog as soon as we could afford it. And it may be that um, that the success horticulture has enjoyed because of COVID um, may allow us to publish a catalog at the end of 2021. We're certainly hoping that that's the case. Well, I hope that happens too. And I was going to note that usually how my spring goes, you know, pre-COVID and your spring is that I run into you at the Philadelphia Flower Show in early March and buy some seeds from you there. And then I see you a third weekend of April or so at the Leesburg Flower and Garden Festival um, and then buy some early tomato seedlings there. And then I might see you later in the season at another event. So will I be seeing you at those events this year? Oh, you certainly will. We are very excited about what the Philadelphia Flower Show is proposing for this interim year. I need to make the point that the Philadelphia Flower Show has every intention of going back to the convention center starting in 2022. But for this year, to keep its um, track record going as uh, the oldest flower show in America, they are holding an outdoor flower show in Philadelphia starting that first week and continuing into the second week of June. And I think that they have done an outstanding job of dealing with the challenges and trying to honor all of the regulations that have come about as a result of COVID. I'm really excited to see what the landscaper exhibits are going to be. They they sound like they're going to be fascinating and completely different than the ones that we've seen at the indoor shows. And it's, it's when you look at the, the detailed drawings, it just looks like such a celebration of horticulture and the artistry associated with it. So I, I'm just really excited to be a part of it and, and very grateful that the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society would have such a commitment to their own legacy and America's horticultural legacy that they would have gone to the trouble. And believe me, Kath, it has been a gigantic management issue to bring this uh, concept of a summer flower show to reality. It, that commitment um, is awesome, in my opinion. I totally agree. And I'm so excited to see how things change this year, um, being so much later in the season. So usually it's the launch of our gardening season and we'll be well into it at that point. But I think it's going to be exciting. I, I, I agree. But there are also some other things that are going on earlier in the spring that I hope, given that so many of your listeners are a part of the greater Baltimore, Washington, Richmond area that, that they'll support. For, 
for example, Leesburg. You and I always uh, spend some time together at Leesburg. Leesburg is doing their form of an outdoor show. And again, to comply with all the regulations and keep people healthy, it's going to be held at Ida Lee Park this year, not along the streets in central downtown Leesburg. And um, it'll be interesting to uh, be a part of that venue for for this one time. Uh, they are, that outdoor show is one of the best organized and supported shows in the country. I Leesburg is so fortunate to have the kind of town workers that they have because they they really are committed to making it an outstanding event and it is. And also Brave Ladue has decided to put on their garden fair. It will be held at Ladue and um it's again it's sounding like it's going to be a wonderful event, a wonderful opening of America's horticultural gardens to the post-lockdown period. Let's put it that way. Yes, and it's so great that many of our spring events are outdoors, rain or shine, and a lot of us vendors, of course, bring our own little tents, um, so you have some protection, but otherwise, it's all open to the outside air and fresh, and I'm sure everybody will be masked up and using plenty of hand sanitizer and keeping their social distance. Yeah, so it will be interesting and fun. (laughs) It will be. I'd I'd love to tell your listeners that um, for the first time in years, um, and it's because we've had a little time on our hands with the COVID lockdown, um, we are going to be able to offer a plant that, that I dearly love. And that's, it's called the snail flower. It was a favorite, truly a favorite of Thomas Jefferson's. And if you go to Monticello, you will see the um, snail flower teepees in the hanging gardens. It's, um, it's an extraordinary plant. Um, as we've discussed in the past, Kathy, um, it's very difficult to grow from seed. It only has, under the best of circumstances, a 40% germination rate from seed. And it's a bizarre little creature because it definitely has a mind of its own. If you take cuttings in, say, May or June or July, they root almost instantly. But if you wait until August or September, they rarely root at all, even if you're taking them near the top of the vine. And they just, snail flower, like I said, has a mind of its own. But those clusters of those snail-shaped flowers with that heavenly fragrance are worth the trouble that plant might give you at the beginning of its life with you. And we finally have a wonderful grower who is going to provide us with snail flower at Leesburg and Ladue and Philadelphia and our own bulb sale in New Freedom in uh, the weekend after Mother's Day. And I know, I have to admit that that is a plant that I've tried both from seed and purchased little seedling and have failed with both. <laughs> Much uh, <laughs> though I tried, uh, but I cannot wait uh, to get a hold of some of your seedlings and give those a chance because it is such a beautiful little flower. I mean, uh, the snail part of the name doesn't kind of do it justice. It just uh, conveys that it's kind of got this really funny corkscrew type habit, almost kind of like between a wisteria and I'm trying to think how I would describe it, uh, like a rotini noodle. How's right, that? Right, right. Yes, <laughs> that's well said. That's exactly what it looks like. And then it's got the blushes of purple and pink and uh, and 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 these blossoms all grow in clusters so it uh it it is a lovely lovely plant and it's it's so easy to winter over once you've got one or two of them you've got them forever because they they winter over very very nicely you just have to keep giving them a haircut because they grow at least a foot a week uh, i have that to look forward to definitely <laughs> yeah. so um we're going to talk about in a little bit 
the seed industry in general and the reported seed shortage and then share some seed starting tips. But before we get into all of that, I wanted to talk about how you got into horticulture. You had said um, you started with D-Lander Seed from your uh, previous career, but were you a gardener before that? And how did that start in your life? This is a true story. It's not it's not a branding of Barbara story. I started growing things when I was five years old. I was given a packet of zinnia seed and I lived in a row house. My family lived in a row house in Baltimore City. So we didn't have um, a lot of gardening space. And so my mother gave me a shoebox and I dug up some soil from the little garden that we did have. and planted these zinnia seeds. And uh, I think every single one of them germinated because in a matter of days, I had a shoebox full of zinnias. And my dad said, okay, well, we can't leave the shoebox underneath the hose spigot because we have to use the hose spigot for other things. And so he went to pick up the shoebox and of course it bent in half and all of the zinnias disappeared. However, my mother, who had come from a farming family, said, oh, don't worry about that. She just stuck her hands into the dirt, picked up hunks of soil that had the seedlings in them, and threw them in the garden. And sure enough, we had zinnias that summer, and they were just beautiful. I've had a garden every year of my life since that time when I was five years old. So that means at this point, I've had a garden for 66 years, and I hope I'll have a garden for the rest of my life. I've learned a lot, and um, I learn every single season something new. Uh, It's a a wonderful stimulus for the mind, and um, as far as I'm concerned, there isn't anything better you can do for your body and your soul than to get out there and garden. But literally, when I was in college, I had a window garden. Um, just couldn't be without the plants. And do you still grow zinnias? Oh, you bet. I love them. I, I just think they're magnificent. And I grow the old-fashioned ones. Most of the work on zinnias in the last two decades has been done in Germany by the company known as Benari, a very fine uh, old European horticultural company. But they've worked a lot in tissue culture. And so that's why you see the consistency, especially in zinnias that are now grown as border plants, the short ones. And I don't like that consistency. I I love the vagaries of an open pollinated um, zinnia garden. I love the fact that you can buy a packet of pink uh California zinnias, California giant zinnias, and no two of them will be exactly alike. Um, And also when you get to the tetraploids, which are the gigantic zinnias that are even more than fully double, it's just amazing to see one of those unfold and to look at how, how magnificent nature can be when she's on steroids. And I think that's a great point about using a pack of seed and getting varied results, we'll call it almost like chaotic, good gardening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, chaotic, good gardening. That's a great yes. term. <laughs> so, cause it's such a fun surprise to get it. Let's say a mix of the seashell cosmos and you know, most of them are going to be white or pink, right? Some type of range of pink. And then maybe one is almost red and, or maybe one has a little green in it. So that's always fun to see. It it is and 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 gardeners are so open to things. I have to tell you a funny story. We had um, uh, a young man working for us a number of years ago who um, uh, packed the green envy zinnia in the pink enchantress packets by mistake. We had this sweet customer of ours call, and she goes. I've never grown the Enchantress, and and it says it's supposed to be pink, but mine are all green. Are, are they going to turn pink? Oh, <laughs> oh no, they're green. Well, 
green zinnias don't turn pink. And so we, of course, replaced her envy zinnias with the true enchantresses. But um, it, it was so funny. Are they going to turn pink or are they going to stay green? <laughs> Well, I guess that was a good question. <laughs> yes, it was. She, I'm, I'm glad she asked and didn't just wait around for the season for them to turn. Well, and and she she made us aware that the seat had been mispacked. Mm-hmm. So um, so we pulled what we had off the shelves, and uh, when people called, we of course replaced their pink zinnias. So, mm-hmm. and that's a good point for starting from seed rather than tissue culture as you said so you might not get exactly the picture on the packet you might get some variation there Um, whereas with tissue culture raised seedlings everyone is really genetically identical you're right that's it and that's the case and that's why you get that consistency and if you're looking for a border that kind of uh, consistency is very much appreciated there's a there's room for both (laughs) Definitely. And so we were talking the other day about how the seed industry has adapted to the last year of COVID. Um, First, it seemed like a bust and then a boom. And then uh, there were all the rumors of seed shortages. So can you walk us through what happened? Okay. Um, Several things have happened since March of 2020. Uh, When the lockdown occurred, we were about uh, a little more than halfway through the spring season. And everybody knows about how much seed they're, they're going to order and how much they can, they can sell. And things were moving along. It was an average year. But then with people locked up, they decided, the people decided to deal with their stress by gardening, which was an excellent, excellent decision. But what they did was they uh, they uh, went to all the garden centers and all the hardware stores and bought everything that they could get their hands on. Uh, we have a wonderful agway uh, in the little town where we live, and uh, I'm pretty good friends with the lady who's in charge of their garden section. She kept saying to me, Barb, I don't know what they're buying. It disappears. I put it out and it disappears. And and that truly is is what happened. The the good thing was that people had turned their interest. The bad thing was that they would come in and they would buy 10 packs of something when there was no way they were ever going to uh, use those 10 packs. And so what happened is this continued throughout the late spring and early summer. And then we got into the fall season. And the same thing happened with bulbs. Um, by the beginning of September, the big bulb importers had sold their annual inventory for 2020. It it was, I have to tell you, Kath, I sold out of some, some bulbs that I have never been able to give away at the end of the season. And they were gone by the end of September. It, it was It was truly amazing. So based on those two experiences, gardeners got concerned about what was going to happen in 2021, and they began their 2021 purchasing, at least with our little company, uh, starting at the beginning of November. And that has continued. The, to me, the interesting thing was it, it um, was going on at a moderate rate until Inauguration Day. And then for the five to seven days after Inauguration Day, there was almost no activity. And then it came back full force and has been amazing in the past um, 10 days. Um, We have seen, we've seen volume like we've never seen before. It's, It's great. I think the thing that warms my heart the most is that we're seeing the millennials take um, a very non-millennial interest in this. And um, they've, I have spent hundreds of hours talking to millennials in the past eight months. And they just, 
they want to know, they're starved for information. They want to know how to do these things and why you would, why you would do, why you would plant one thing next to another thing and all sorts of information like that. And it's, it's refreshing to see a genuine innocence about millennials being brought out by their newly found interest in horticulture. I'd, I am cherishing every moment of watching millennials fall in love with gardening. I know it's so wonderful to see, and the latest statistics show that we have somewhere between 16 to 20 million new gardeners just in the United States. And of course, as you said, a lot of those are coming from the millennial generation and some from the even younger than that, Gen Z, um, who are hitting college and uh, age and a little bit over. But then there's also some older gardeners that I'm seeing. So I'm seeing some seniors and some new retirees that just finally have the time on their hands available. Um, They don't have that two-hour commute every day, or they were saving gardening for retirement, you know, kind of like saving oil painting for retirement. You're, you're absolutely right. And there, it's the joy that they had that they can finally pursue something that they always dreamed about is, um, it's just really nice to see. Um, I, I, I love some of these newly found customers. I have, I have a man whose name is Chuck and he lives in, um, I, what I suspect is a very difficult part of Chicago. And Chuck doesn't realize that there's a time difference between Chicago and um, the East Coast. And so he loves to call me at 1030 or 1130 at night questions. <laughs> we, we have some great mid-evening <laughs> discussions, but uh, um, it's it's been, I, I remember, Kath, when um, we had a, well, first of all, let me take your listeners back a little bit. When when 9-11 occurred, the um, the belief was that Americans would go into a nesting uh, form of behavior and they would do things around their homes and that horticulture was going to benefit significantly. As an industry, horticulture grows about 5% per year. And um, that's to be expected from a stable um, non-technology industry. The technology industries can grow, um, well, the social media related ones have grown 50, 100% per year, maybe even more. Um, and the and the non-social media, it's, it's not unusual for those industries to grow between 20 and 50% per year when they're just getting started. But horticulture trudges along at about 5% per year. There was no difference after 9-11. Horticulture still maintained a growth rate about uh, 5% per year. And then we had during um, 2004 to 2008, a series of um, problems with fresh produce. Uh, There were a number of salmonella outbreaks, and this affected the market in that young mothers became fearful to buy fresh produce. And uh, so we saw an uptick in the horticulture industry and uh, um, the growth was about running at a rate of about 7%. Um, And that, what happened during that time is um, that fear drove that interest. And once the fear had subsided, so did the interest. Uh, It it didn't last. This time, it's very, very different. And I think that the millennials, the newly retired, and and maybe even the youngest generation may actually stick with their interest in gardening. They'll carve out specific areas. Some will be great vegetable gardeners. Some will be great flower gardeners. Some will be great water gardeners. They'll find an area that they just love or a particular plant. Maybe it's an iris or maybe it's squash. Who knows? But um, I think that that interest is not just going to last. It's going to grow. Um, and, And that's a wonderful thing. 
yeah and i was thinking that um a lot of these new gardeners the big question i guess for the seed companies that i've been speaking to is yes they either had some successes or some failures in their first year in 2020 but how many of them are coming back in 2021 and how much of a gamble can you make in your inventory um do do you see the sales uh exceeding last year oh way in in ours all i can speak to is our little company's experience so far in 2021 what do we have we've got five weeks under our belt um it's um january rivaled some of our best months um in 2020 and and i would have told you (laughs) that was impossible january for us is a dead month um we're getting our act together and getting ready to go to the flower shows and um uh, we've been very, very busy. Yeah, that echoes what a lot of the other seed companies I've been speaking to are saying in that they thought because the ordering season started earlier this year, um, back, as you said, in November, December, that it would taper off by January, but they only see it going up. So that bell curve doesn't seem to have hit that that top point yet. Right. I don't think it's even close. Um, hmm. February February started with a boom. We were talking about the term seed shortage, and I kind of think that's a misnomer in that there's tons of seeds out there. The shortage actually is in the packaging and getting them to the consumer, correct? Yes, that, and that's that's a very good um, description to point out to your listeners. Um, there, The shortages you're going to find are in peas. And certain beans, um, and maybe, maybe in some lettuce. But peas are going to be a problem. So if you're going to grow peas, you ought to go buy a packet of seed right now. Um, Because there just are no more peas. There's no more bulk peas um, left. Everything is sitting in a warehouse waiting to be packed right now. Good point. And that had to have been obviously grown and harvested last season. That's right. Um, and seasoned. And if it's a few years old with peas, you could, if you have an old pack of peas sitting around, you can probably just plant what double or triple uh, the amount that you would in norm normally and probably still have, you know, a good amount of germination, maybe 30 to 50%. But with those lettuce seeds, that's I think going to be an issue because lettuce is one of those seeds that needs to be fairly fresh like from last year uh for it to have even a minuscule germination yep you you are absolutely right on that the one thing i would tell people about peas is if they already have older peas that this is the year i would use inoculant on them because that will definitely a pea that's you know right on the cusp of germination or non-germination the inoculant, I think, will help push them into the germination column. And can you describe for beginners how to use inoculant and where they might source that? Okay. Um, it, inoculant is a good chemical. It's um, approved for organic gardening, and it encourages um, the growth of new roots and bear with me because most people won't describe inoculant that way. What it does is it allows that pea to access the nitrogen in the soil using less energy than it normally would have to use. And in doing that, those very young roots then become uh, much stronger than they ordinarily would. In, in a normal pea that isn't a year or so old, um, it makes for very strong plants that produce higher yields. In in peas where you're trying to get some germination, um, I think you will have a much stronger plant than you would without the inoculant. The best place I would think to find inoculant is if you've got a southern states or one of the agricultural related um, 
stores. Um, mm -hmm. So like someone, a farm supply store. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there, there are probably some, some uh, agways and true values in those places where the person buying the horticultural products knows what they're doing and they may actually carry some. Most of the inoculants made by a company who's been around for the better part of a century called Kalo. It's K-A-L-O. And they, they're the ones that are known for inoculant. That's such a great, great tip because I know that I don't normally add inoculant to my peas, uh, but I try to give them a little bit of a head start by soaking them for at least four hours before I do put them in the ground. And, and that's, that's a great suggestion. However, you were very careful to say four hours. You don't want to soak the peas overnight. They'll drown. Um, but um, four hours would be an ideal length of time to mm -hmm. uh, soften up that exterior. Yeah, I've done it. I've left them on the kitchen counter for a day or two, and then you kind of have uh, like a cold pea soup. Not attractive. <laughs> so smells. Yes, and there is the the smell too. Um, but yeah, but doing them for an afternoon or so, it, it really helps. I think with the germination, I find that they definitely germinate much earlier in the garden soil than planting them straight out in the cold soil. Oh, very true. Very true. And for the seed shortage concerns, if I were to go online to you know your company or another and see that something is out of stock. Um, should I panic? Um, well, I'd check a few other sources. Um, but yeah, I would panic. I would panic this year. Um, there, there are, um, there's simply not at this, at this rate of purchasing, there's not enough seed to carry us to the summer. So, um, so you want to purchase your seeds soon. Um, but don't panic if don't panic if you go into your hardware store or your Home Depot and um, and the seed packets for beets are gone. Go online and look at some of the smaller seed houses, and um, they probably will have some of what you're looking for. Yeah, and it's true that if you say wanted that particular carrot, you're looking for Danvers, mm -hmm. and they're sold out of Danvers. Um, there's lots of other carrots available. So right. this is probably a good opportunity to try some of those different things, even if you've always bought the same variety every year. That's right. And and a little secret is um, there's a great seed house in this country called Kitazawa. It's K-I-T-A-Z-A-W-A. -A -A. Um, and we think of them as Asian seeds, but you mentioned carrots and that brought Kitazawa to my mind. They have wonderful, a wonderful selection of carrots. And um, I, I think they have a retail website, but, um, but also there are places that carry Kitazawa seeds. And some of the things you are looking for, if you go through the Kitazawa inventory, you're going to find those seeds there. And I'm guessing that they won't sell out as fast, as quickly as say going to Burpee or um, or a, a name brand. True, and there's always, of course, uh, our seed swaps and Washington Gardener holds seed exchanges, and there's your older seed inventory, and then um, also going in for group purchases. So you and your neighbors, or maybe your fellow garden club members, uh, because a packet of say tomato seed might have what twenty seed in there. But how many of them are you going to grow the full plant out? Exactly. So it's um, one point I would like to make because as as knowledge is um, growing within the new gardener group, if you're going to plant um, the second season starting in late June or July, or you're going to plant um, the third season in uh, September, you need to purchase seeds now. So if you were going to plant beets in July and maybe some beets in in uh, September, you better buy the beets now. Hmm, great tip uh, to plan out your year fully in advance, not just look towards the next couple months. And that kind of brings us around to seed starting tips because there's two main ways 
that I know of for starting seeds, and that's starting them indoors early under grow lights and then direct sowing them into the soil. And I'm kind of a big direct sower. I don't do too much of the indoor pre-starting, but let's try to walk through what you might be starting in the next few weeks indoors. Okay. Um, the, the first thing I want to say in the harshest of tones is that people start seeds too early. And this is especially true for tomatoes. A leggy tomato has, goes through tremendous, tremendous transplant. So you don't want to start that tomato seed more than six weeks before you're going to put it in the ground. Forget the frost date and that sort of thing. Six weeks before you're going to put it in the ground. So if the frost date's May 15th, but you're not going to plant that tomato until May 31st, then you are, as you cry and write the check for your taxes, you are also sticking little tomato seeds on April the 15th into little pots so that come May 31st, you've got a plant that's not leggy. The counter to that is pepper plants. And peppers never forgot where they came from. They came from the deep tropics and um, they don't like it cold. So where a tomato plant, you don't want to start more than six weeks, you can easily start a pepper plant eight weeks. And the warmer that soil is, the happier that plant will be, that pepper plant will be. So just remember that. Um, Eggplants, which probably, Kathy, is the only other thing I would recommend that you start indoors. Um, Eggplants are take longer than tomato plants to germinate, but then speed things up. So you're okay starting an eggplant six weeks before you're going to put it in the ground. Um, The other thing with those three plants is um, that they don't need to have direct sun or even very bright light while they're germinating. Once they get those two first leaves, then you start exposing them to light. But what they want more than anything else is warmth, not light, until they come out of the ground and poke those first two leaves out of the stem. That's a great point. And since you were saying they prefer warm soil, uh, would that be a a heating pad, a germination mat? I know that some of the old tricks that people would use would be to start their seeds on top of, say, their water heating unit. Um, some people will swear by that. If you had, if you still have radiators, that's another choice, right? Yep. And anything that's that where the bottom could be warm. And even there are refrigerators like mine that, um, uh, still give off some heat, uh, on the top part. And even that gentle heat is enough to encourage germination so mine does because i have a cat that naps up there so (laughs) i I, my recommendation to listeners is where the cats nap during the day (laughs) (laughs) is where the seeds would like to be warm as well and of course you don't want to have cats napping on top of your seedling trays but you know if if you can move the cat aside for a little bit (laughs) and have the seeds that's probably a great place for it yeah. <laughs> great, <laughs> great advice. <laughs> for the seeds that we might be starting for cool season crop, so those would be a uh, crop that we would harvest before summer uh, comes in full in our region, um, might be things like uh, greens and onions and leeks and some of the cool season herbs. Um, so those we can radishes start, too. And radishes, of course, and some of our root crops, uh, like we mentioned before, carrots as well, and, and beets and that sort of thing. So those all we can direct sow into the soil. Generally, we have said for the Mid-Atlantic region in the past that you can start doing that around St. Patrick's Day. Um, but in the last few years, and we don't know if that's climate change or just mild winters, some of us have had success even starting uh, peas and things outside as early as Valentine's Day. Uh, what are you finding, Barbara? I'm saying hooray to you. Yes. Pe- peas, um, spinach, those kinds of things 
love being in the ground in the mid-Atlantic um, in February. And and with a lot of them, you, you can't make a mistake because if for some reason it's too cold, they just stay snuggled under the soil. And once the soil gets warm enough, then they'll poke their heads up. So it's not it's not like you're going to have them totally disappear. That's not always the case, but in most cases, you put them in the ground mid-February and um, and you'll start seeing some productivity by the end of February. I, I, I think it's great advice to start those things early. Yeah, it helps to start earlier just because also you want to get a jump on the summer season earlier um, and you're trying to have that overlap that time and that's kind of like when can i harvest this and when can i plant this type of of fight that we have in the mid-atlantic and then the same thing of course happens in late summer into early fall when you're trying to transition um to those root crops again and the greens but you're like i'm still producing tons of tomatoes i can't yank that plant (laughs) true (laughs) very true and and the other end of that spectrum is the things that do so much better if they're planted in warm soil. And that doesn't mean that you take your hand and you you spread it out on the surface of the soil and the soil's warm. You take that finger and you stick it down at least two knuckles worth and see if the soil is warm on the tip of your finger. It, things that do so much better are like squash and melons and uh pumpkins and those kinds of things if if the soil is warm I, I will I will tell you of some of the things that I used to glean from the old Landreth catalogs they would tell you to plant your squash the third or fourth week of June nobody does that anymore but but the farmers that grow pumpkins in um, mm-hmm. New Jersey, Never put their pumpkins in before the week before Fourth of July, and I can remember what because we sold a lot of of old heirloom variety pumpkins when I was with Landreth, and I remember the first year or so we'd start getting these bulk orders for pumpkins around June the fifteenth, and finally one of the guys that I knew pretty well I said, "What are you buying pumpkin seed for at this time of the year?" And he goes. Well, if you knew what you were doing, you would know that I'm not going to put the pumpkin seed in until the end of June. And my crop will come in with better fruit and quicker than the guys that put it in May the 31st. So, and it did end up being true. The The other thing that's amazing is if you plant zinnia seeds once the soil is warm... Zinnia seeds will routinely germinate in 24 hours if the soil's warm enough. It's amazing how fast they germinate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as a perpetual procrastinator, I can swear by all of this timing. <laughs> so normally I am not getting my uh, melons or pumpkins or squash in any time before mid-June. And, and they germinate within two days i'm seeing you know the, the little first leaves pop out immediately whereas obviously as you said if you put, had planted them in early may or mid-may you know they might sit for a week or two till the sun has warmed the soil enough that they might finally decide to break out of their shell and push up out of the soil very true that i would like to make this point since we're on this subject and they're not i know they're not seeds but um well Leeks. If you're going to grow leeks and harvest them this year, you really need to get them in the ground in mid-February in the mid-Atlantic. The other thing you should put in the ground in mid-February, and and this is an absolute, is um, the shallots. Shallots have to have that cold period, and um, they do. Shallots do much better in the mid-Atlantic if you plant them in the fall. But if you didn't have a chance to do that this fall and you still want shallots, you, you've got about three weeks before they need to absolutely be in the ground. Onions, not so much. Again, in the mid-Atlantic, the best time to plant onions is in the fall. But, um, but you've got, I would say, up to St. Patty's Day to, um, to plant your onions. Shallots, 
I'd plant them in mid-February. No excuses. And even if there's snow in the ground, would you just dig like a line through that? I, I, I would, if the ground isn't frozen, I would, I would dig them up. I would um, put them in. And do you have any tricks for maybe pre-warming the soil a little bit? Um, black landscaper cloth um, or a black um, plastic trash bag will help to to a certain extent. But the thing about challenging Mother Nature is she always gets you back. So um, she may look nice, but she's got a vindictive streak in her. So I'd go, I'd go with what the outside nature is telling you and, um, and not try to push my luck. And if you follow, um, phenology, so the signs of nature showing you when the soil is warm enough, one of those indications is, uh, of course, when you see weed seeds germinating, (laughs) popping up, (laughs) um, that would be a good indication. So if you start to see bitter cress, especially, uh, that's one of the ones I look out for. And also when dandelions start to bloom, and that's generally what mid March for yep. for us here in the DC area. Yep, it, it certainly, it certainly is. It uh, <laughs> the uh, another I will tell you another charming thing about the way the old catalogs and this just wasn't Landreth, but but a lot of the old catalogs never talked about frost date. What they would talk about is when the fruit trees were either putting out their blossoms. Or the first green leaves, which often came after the blossoms. And and the the planting time would be when you have the apple tree in full bloom, or when you when the peach tree has begun to leaf, which uh I've always thought was not just charming but but was integral to a gardener's love for gardening. <laughs> Yeah, and those signals, I think, are much more reliable than a calendar date. Absolutely. So for herbs that we can start now from seed, either indoor or outdoor, do you have any recommendations for those? Humphrey is a great herb, but but you really should, um, if you can find somebody that's got a comfrey plant, you should ask them to give you a, a slip when it comes to comfrey. The, the chamomile likes it cold, as does feverfew. Parsley, maybe, if you didn't already start it in the fall and had it over winter for you. Um, yes, but but definitely not in February. Parsley, you're better off um, in in mid March in the Mid Atlantic because you can kill parsley um, if you have a prolonged cold snap, where you're talking about temperatures in the 30s, especially if along with the temperatures in the 30s you've got some rain. Um, it, the seed can often rot, but um, parsley does like to um, when the soil is cool. The other the other thing is that basil, which I've often tried to convince our customers that your money is better spent on basil seed than basil plants, but basil doesn't like it cold. And those rust spots that you see on basil leaves are the basil plant telling you that they don't, they were exposed, overexposed to cold. So just remember that. The other thing is you will get from seed when it comes to basil, you'll, you'll get mature plants every bit as quick as if you plant a basil plant um, in the late spring. So just remember that basil doesn't like it cold and uh it's it's a much better use of your money to buy the seed than it is the plants and it's so quick to germinate and grow and it's one of those herbs that you don't want to do the whole pack at once you want to save save back at least half or maybe you want to just do a third at a time and then reseed say every three weeks you know you can do as much as every two weeks but i would say every three to four weeks yeah, that's that's much better advice than three to four weeks because the mm-hmm. two uh-huh. weeks isn't enough separation. Yeah, the, the when they tell you to do uh, consecutive seedings, <laughs> and yeah. they're talking almost on farmer schedules that would be growing for a farmer's market. Um, it's a, It would be a little much for the home gardener. Yeah, no, very, very true. Outs- outside of that, uh, there's not 
a lot I can offer when it comes to the herbs. Other than, boy, I'll tell you, chamomile is a really vigorous little thing. Yeah, it's almost a weed sometimes, the, yes. the way it can go up. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. What a welcome weed. <laughs> yes. You know, and, and you know what else? Um, whorehound, uh, not whorehound, um, borage. Now, borage is something that if you really are in love with the plant, you could start indoors, um, I would say, uh, around mid-March. You don't need to because it starts very easily from seed um, in the in the ground. But if you're just itching to plant something, uh, borage is a good thing to try indoors. I might even do that in, for our seed swap for Washington Gardner Seed Exchange that's been postponed uh, this year to late March and early April. That might be a seedling that I could start and give out as a seedling rather than a seed. Oh, you definitely could. It um, it takes almost no time for that plant to germinate. And it's it's absolutely wonderful. It's a great plant to plant in amongst your tomato plants. Yeah, and I just love having a few of those flowers, say, in an ice cube or just floating in a drink as well. Yep. So where can our listeners contact you and how do they order from Harvesting History? Okay, um, let me take just a few minutes with this. We have a wonderful website, um, and uh, this isn't a very humble statement, but I think in terms of horticulture, we've got the most beautiful website in the country. The photographs are not stock photographs. They're photographs from my garden or from a few um, horticultural gardens around the country. Um, they've been taken, those photographs have been taken by all of us. And you can actually see the love and the beauty of those photographs. So part of organizing the website originally, the objective was to make the website like walking through a garden. So even if you don't buy anything from us, you can stroll through the website and enjoy the beautiful pictures. There are probably thousands of them on this website. Um, but the website is harvesting dash, not underscore, harvesting dash history.com. Now, um, the other thing that I would caution your listeners is that when the kids got locked down a year ago, um, some of the little Computer geeks decided to have these challenges where they would go into small businesses and hack their websites. And um, uh, we've had a, a challenge with that situation. So we are rewriting our entire website. But because of the number of products on our website, it's go it has already taken six months. It's going to take another three months before you see improved functionality. So the reason I'm telling all of your viewers this is if you start to have a problem, if you've got five products in your cart and you get a never-ending circling of that little thing that um, that you see on, your, on the webpage, call us. We answer the phone at all hours of the day and night and we'll take your order over the phone. Please call us. Um, and first of all, we love talking to you. We learn so much from each of you. Um, but also you might learn a thing or two from us and we may have a better suggestion than the one that you've selected. So please, please don't hesitate to call us. I would also add to that, if you have a question, you can always email us. But what I would ask is that you include a telephone number because um, a lot of small businesses are finding that their emails are going directly into spam filters, no matter which browser you choose. And that is particularly true with us. And so if you give us your telephone number, we can call you and give you the answer to your question or help mitigate a problem, whatever it is. Otherwise, we may not have any way to contact you. And, and for those that never check their spam filters, they're going to think we don't respond. Thank you for sharing all that, Barbara. That's definitely a, a great behind the scenes of uh, how a lot of our small seed companies are operating these days and some of the challenges uh, that you all are going through. 
Well, you're you're welcome. They that the technology part of it is far more challenging than trying to get a stubborn seed to germinate. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing your seed knowledge and a little bit behind the scenes of the industry. And I look forward to seeing you at some of the live events this season. Well, I look forward to seeing you. And I thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to speak to your listeners. It's been a real pleasure. This podcast is brought to you by Summer Creek Farm Horticultural Soil Mixes, Hydra 2 Seed Starter, Multi-Mix 2 Raised Bed Mix, Organic, Local, Sustainable, Professional Grade. Summer Creek Farm makes the most sustainable horticultural mixes available. Available at Mom's Organic Markets, selected Ace Hardware, and direct from Summer Creek Farm. Visit www.summercreekfarm.com. Plant Profile, Hen and Chicks Succulents Hen and Chick Succulents, Sympervivium species, are like chips. You cannot have just one. Once you start growing them, you'll find yourself collecting the many different varieties. There are over 3,000 named Sympervivian cultivars in numerous colors, shapes, textures, and sizes. Sympervivian literally means lives forever as they can be divided and propagated almost effortlessly. However, don't think that you can just set it and forget it. Each individual plant has a three-year life cycle and produces offshoots for two of those three years. So you'll need to pull out those baby chicks and replenish the mother hen spot periodically. These easy-to-grow succulents are great for indoor or outdoor containers, They can also be grouped with other cactus and succulents for a nice layered or contrasting look. Sympervivian prefer full to part sun and very well-draining sandy or rocky soils. They need little water and are very drought tolerant. Note that there are winter hardy varieties available here in the mid-Atlantic. They are great in rock gardens and thrive in stone containers or concrete troughs. If you select a tender variety, you must bring it indoors for the winter and they should be kept as container plants to save you from digging and replanting them out every growing season. What's new in the local gardening world? Well, my garden has mostly gone to sleep for the winter, but the winter jasmine is blooming up a storm and I could see the bulb foliage of several minor bulbs popping up everywhere and soon I think I'll have my snowdrops in bloom. There are several gardening events coming up, virtually of course, that you can enjoy from the cozy indoors of your home with a cup of tea, maybe in front of a nice roaring fire with a cat on your lap. I'm giving a talk myself on Thursday, February 18th, and it's titled Flowers and Plant Introductions for the New Growing Season. I curated a talk of new plants after speaking to over a dozen plant breeders and introducers, and I'm super excited to have that program hosted by the National Capital Area Garden Club's District 4 as a benefit for them. The presentation will be made via Zoom, and the fee to sign up for that is $10, and I will include the link to sign up for that in our notes for this episode. Another event that you definitely want to sign up for is Greenscape Symposium produced by Brookside Gardens. It was formerly named Green Matter, so you might have known it under that title. That takes place this year virtually on Friday, February 19th. The keynote speaker is Doug Tallamy, and you don't want to miss it. The entire day is themed around native plants. You can register for that at activemontgomery.org. On Saturday, February 20th, is the 17th annual Eco Savvy Symposium hosted by Greenspring Gardens, and you can register for that through fairfaxcounty.gov. Uh, this year's theme is around integrating stormwater management into landscape design. Next, Washington Gardener Magazine is hosting our Garden Book Club meeting, 
and that will be on Thursday, February 25th. We're going to be discussing A Gentle Plea for Chaos, uh, a really fun, neat book that talks about garden philosophy and maybe not trying to tackle it all at once yourself. So hopefully you'll be able to attend one or all of those sessions. And just to save in your schedule, we have pushed back both the Washington Gardener Seed Exchanges into early spring. And the one that will take place at Green Spring Gardens is now Saturday, March 27th. And the one that will take place at Brookside Gardens is now Saturday, April 3rd. We will be posting more details on those and the registration forms in early March. Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter by going to anchor.fm backslash kathy-gents backslash support. For as little as 99 cents a month, you can become a listener supporter and we'll give you a shout out in a future episode. Another way to support Garden DC is to go to washingtongardener.com and subscribe to Washington Gardener Magazine. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. You can find Washington Gardener online at WashingtonGardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.